and we knows now. Finding the trick of what's been and lost ain't no easy ride. But that's our track. We gotta travel it. And there ain't nobody knows where it's gonna lead. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Each day we do the podcast, not just for him, but for all of them that are still out there watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 102, which begins with Savannah talking to a crowd of people, and it ends with a special dedication. Rounding out the week with us are Crystal Beth and John Robert Wilson from, I guess if you want to be specific, just about every other movie by minute podcast ever. <laughs> That's more Crystal than any. <laughs> John's killing it, though. John was asked to be on 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I wasn't. Ooh. He's coming up. Talking about space babies. That's right. Or was that a different part of the movie that you were asked for? Uh, no, not the space paper part. The part where the monkeys discover the monolith. It's a good part. Nice. I loved that scene in Zoolander. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yes. But as for us, we are back in the bombed out wreckage of Sydney. A indiscriminate amount of time has passed and we are slowly passing by a crowd of people sitting at Savannah's feet, listening to her continue with the tell that she was going through on Wednesday's Minute. I know we've <laughs> brought it up before about the bald people. The clean-shaven. The clean-shaven people, because perhaps it's a choice. We don't think those are part of the original group of children, right? Those must be other people? Or are they grown up Mr. Skyfish and grown up Eddie? No, no, I think we, yes, we it's it's safe to believe that these are other people that they kind of discovered in the area. Yeah, if Savannah was 60 years old, that could be it, but she's she looks maybe 10 years 15 older, yeah. the most yeah. years older. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I mean, then again, when you're in the sun, you age real quick. So maybe she's like a, a shadow walker and the other ones that we don't... <laughs> Uh, you don't see the faces of are the young kids that were out playing in the sand too much. <laughs> and there are an awful lot of children. Yeah. Sitting around. Well, they're bored. Right. They don't have anything else to do. And once Making babies found, is fun. Once you've found food and water, what else is there to do? Create podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the people that's holding a baby, the first one you see, she looks like she's 18. That's true. Yeah, they're popping them out like crazy over there, aren't they? Right. I mean, the age at which people start having babies is biological, but it's also very social. Nowadays, the age is going later and later and later because that's just how our society's feeling right now. We can afford to do that. Yeah. So in the society that they are forming, they don't have any examples. They're not basing this society off of anything. They don't know how old their mother was when they were born. They're just following their natural instincts. Mm -hmm. And that creates babies awfully young yeah that's true babies having babies it also creates dead people when they're awful young <laughs> yeah yeah and not because they're doing any sort of weird spartan initiation thing no it's just nature yep but remember as far as this movie is concerned we only have two dead kids right <laughs> <laughs> no more 
So they talk about how, I mean, they're, they're in the middle of the tell, right? And they're talking about this man mm. that kind of saved them and how they, they don't really say if it's an annual thing or if it's a nightly thing where they light the lights of the city. Mm-hmm. And when I, I remember looking at it and I looked at it, I was like, wow, that looks like the Nostromo from Alien. Oh, the way yeah. It's like all sand or, any, or even like the base. The colonial base from aliens how it's like all sand swept and the and it look it, you have these monolithic buildings but now these tiny little fires or these tiny little beacons kind of lit on them and you can tell they're fires you can tell they don't have electricity pumped into these buildings yet so it's very uh looks like alien to me yeah it kind of does it's got that otherworldly atmosphere to it yeah they've got the bridge in the background so you know it's sydney but still yeah the, the lights are kind of so randomly placed on these monoliths that it's very spaceshipy. now when we had that initial shot of the group did you get the impression that that was everybody so when i saw it i figured it was everyone just or like everyone that was important but if you think about it, in society, there are going to be the social outcasts that are like, mm, I'm not going. <laughs> I don't want to go. You can't make me, mom. And she's like, you're right. You're 14. You're an adult now. I can't make you do anything. But we're all going to be there. And everyone's going to be very sad if you're not. And the kid's up there. And then he's like, I can't believe they left without me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the children seem to severely outnumber the adults mm-hmm. in attendance. I suspect that the tell is mostly for the children and the adults that are present are more representative of an adult family member taking the children of the family to the tell. I bring it up because I look at the amount of lights in this city and they are so widely spread, so many different places Mm. that I feel like you need a lot of people in order to pull this off, especially if they're doing it on a nightly rotation. Yeah, and they don't seem like people that want to leave their lights on that is so much resources being used being consumed energy it's not electricity we don't think it's fire right probably i think it's fire and they're not around a forest or anything they're around a desert right yeah so they're probably they're burn burning like gas old furniture or that or old yeah. furniture or books from, yeah. the, from the underground museums or the yeah. sand still has the radioactiveness and they figured out how to burn that okay <laughs> No. So they have little nuclear power plants. Ooh. Giving off light. <laughs> Think Master's smart enough to make little tiny nuclear reactors? No. <laughs> I don't think so either. See, so the problem with Master is that he doesn't share his information, and he's old to begin with, so they probably only had a short amount of time with him. Yeah. Although maybe he realized that he needed to pass along his information and actually did so. It's possible. Yeah, with the hunter kid. Yeah. So Savannah is talking about how time counts, keeps counting, and we knows now finding the trick of what's been lost ain't no easy ride, but that's our track and we got to travel it. So it sounds to me like they are continually salvaging and scouring the city for old things. And as they light the beacons, it attracts people to come to the city and the people show up and they're met by the tribe that left and they like, hey, we're reclaiming the city. Come help us out. And they're like, okay. And I think that's why we see faces that we don't necessarily recognize. That makes sense. Yes. I agree. Be careful. Gotta, if you are doing beacons, though, you gotta be careful for the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, I would be worried about bad guys. I, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't want, well, I would never, ever return to a city post-apocalyptic. No. But if I were going to, I would not attract attention to myself. Yeah. I would find a place that was rich in resources and I would hide. Yeah. 
Maybe that's what I was thinking of in the last episode when I was like, what's the reason besides zombies to not go to a metropolitan area in a post-apocalyptic situation? The one major reason is everybody that's still alive knows that that city is there. So they're going to go there. The majority of people are, I want to go to the city. And you don't want to be in a big population center in a post-apocalyptic setting because you're going to be scrapping for food and people will kill you because it's a lawless scenario. Resources are scarce. The worst person that they had to deal with was arguably Iron Bar. And when you think about the different types of threats that exist in the wasteland, Iron Bar is... Sure, intimidating and tenacious, but he's no humongous. He's no Immortan Joe. No, Iron Bar was still an agent of the law. Whatever law that may be, Auntie Entity's version of the law. But when he was first introduced, he spotted Max walking into Bartertown. He didn't like the look of him. Didn't like the cut of his jib. Yeah, so he (laughs) followed him in. But he did not show any aggression until Max did things that were outside the law. Mm -hmm. So if you stay inside the law, Ironbar is not going to do anything to you. But someone like Humongous or Toe Cutter or Morton Joe... They don't need a reason. Their only reason is that they want what you have. Yeah, that's all you need. And that's very scary. I'll take an iron bar any day over a humongous or a toe cutter. Toe cutter, certainly. We haven't analyzed Fury Road yet, but so far, toe cutter, I think, is the most frightening villain to me because he is so random and frivolous. I'll agree with that. That's, oh man, I love that movie so much. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. All the characters are so good in it. They're so good. Yeah. The first one is still my favorite. It's crazy. There is something scarier about someone that is a villain and has no disregard for anything or anyone because you don't know what can happen. But I respect villains that follow their own code of morality. Yeah. Auntie had a very established way of dealing with things. She always had a clever rhyme waiting in the wings. Her deal went south with Max and so she busted out the wheel. Bust the deal, face the wheel, two men enter, one man leave. You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love those types of characters like um, Al Swearingen from Deadwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe uh, Server Snape in the Harry Potter movies, maybe. Yeah, That's he's a, got a code. Yeah. But he, he comes off as a villain. But yeah, he's, but still, he's not. Yeah. And then um, what's his face in Gangs of New York? Daniel Day-Lewis's character, the butcher. Bill the butcher. Oh, he has a code gosh. too. And he does not fly off the handle unless something specific happens. And if you don't follow his rules... Oh, you dunsies. And that's, I mean, he's pretty terrifying, but. Uh, That movie always makes me want to eat like a steak the way he eats it, where he just like barely puts it on the pan on both sides just to get the bacteria off. (laughs) And then eats it pretty much like (laughs) rare. Yum. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys notice by any chance that the baby Savannah is holding is holding something itself? I saw that. I didn't see that. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure out what it was, although its coloring looks like Bugs Bunny. It is the same Bugs Bunny toy. Really? From the earlier scene in the movie. All right. Do you think that Screw Loose is the father of that baby? Well, Savannah's holding the baby. I'm assuming that Savannah is the mother of that baby. Huh. And Screw Loose is the closest one to her. And did you also see that Screw Loose is holding a baby? Yes. Just terrifying. Like a younger baby. Like a baby baby. Well, Savannah wouldn't get a lot of talk back from Screw Loose. (laughs) (laughs) Unless he's phased out of that part of his life. Some kids are weird. They go through phases. 
I went through a phase where I refused to wear jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I grew out of it. Wait, what did you wear instead? Stretch pants. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a comfortable phase. Yeah, but not like yoga pants as we know them today. No, these were, they had the, oh shoot, there's a word for it. Where it has the elastic loop that goes under your heel. Oh, stirrup. Yes, stirrup. And they were like, I remember two pairs specifically were like a mint green and a pale blue. Hell yeah. Did you wear a big t-shirt with them? Yes, I did. Oh, girl. Oh, it's like a dream outfit. Yep. <laughs> did you crunch your socks up and then scrunch them down? Oh, yeah. In layers. Yeah. Like three pairs of socks and different order on each foot. Crystal's just naming the outfit she's wearing right now. <laughs> Did you ever get the, the socks that just came with the three different tops? It was one pair of socks, but you could roll down three tops. Oh, no, but I wish. Yeah, me neither. Three it pairs rich of socks is a lot to wear. Yeah, I had to buy shoes that were bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was middle school, and oh, I phased out of you. it. Well, it could have been worse. You could have been the kind of person who wanted to paint themselves completely white, except for right around their eyes, where they just paint it black. Yeah. It's like some strange goth phase. The ICP kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a goth phase. Me neither. I tried. Did you guys ever wear Jinko jeans? Yes. No. I always call those the pillow people. They look like pillows. Yeah. I was not one of those kids who ever got to wear Jinko brand jeans. Yeah. I was not one of the lucky few in my area that could afford them. So I couldn't either, but Weathervane used to have sales on Jenko jeans all the time, but they would be the tiniest of the circumference of the legs. Mm -hmm. So they were just kind of like baggy jeans with a wider bottom. But I had a pair of cream-colored ones that no one ever wore, and I mm, got them on cream. sale for like twenty <laughs> bucks. And I was allowed to wear whatever I wanted because I bought most of my clothes growing up after age fourteen. So I would go and I'd spend all my money from Bessie and Donuts on trying to look cool. Bessie Eaton, oh yeah, I remember Bessie Eaton. R.I.P. Yep. Well, there's one in Rhode Island still. There is. Yeah. Where? It's in. Wakefield. My mom used to work at Bessie and headquarters. Oh, all right. Yeah. Anyway, Jenko jeans were cool. And yeah, uh, no, they, no, they, no. Oh, uh, they <laughs> were, was. were by the definition of the era. <laughs> <laughs> it was a more innocent time. It was. Oh God, it was dirty. Speaking of clothing, something else I noticed about Screwloose is that he is covered in furs. Mm -hmm. So they are killing animals and eating them and using their fur for clothing. So I'm wondering where they're getting these animals in this desert setting. They're banthas. Oh, okay. Or maybe they catch a lot of those like sand dribbles and kind of make like a, <laughs> a lot catch, of them? like 500 of them. <laughs> I was going to say giant radioactive rats. The ROAS. Yeah, those, those that works too. Well, maybe they break Princess Bride in. Then maybe Screwloose shouldn't be procreating. Because he's wearing rat pelts? Because he's wearing radioactive rat pelts? Well, it's a miracle he can reproduce. At some point, at some point, the rats just become large and they're not actively radioactive. I guess so. And really, after this point in the series, everyone's going to be radioactive. So there's not really a lot of avoiding it. I keep saying R-O-A-S. And in my head, I was like, that's not right. It's R-O-U-S. <laughs> R -O -U -S. R -O -U -S. Oh, man, they're going to get so many tweets and emails now. 
Oh, thanks a lot. I used to be terrified of those. When I ran up the stairs from my basement, that is what chased me in my mind. An actual giant rat? Yeah. I was always being chased by yeah, gremlins were my chase 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 eaters. Chasers. Yeah. Oh, my dad used to chase us up the stairs. My dad is my nightmare. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Hi, Dad. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> So even now, when like the two of us are walking up the stairs and I go first, which I try not to go first, I have to run up the stairs. Yeah, that happens to me, too. Because I just know that Rick is going to like chase after me. Because <laughs> he loves you. Up the stairs. I got to keep you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Savannah gets to the point in the tell where she refers to Max... She says, but most of all, we members the man who finded us, him that came the salvage. And I guess the nickname, the man who finded us, is a better name than the guy who keeps Mr. Dead in his pocket. It's not quite as cool, but it's a lot shorter. <laughs> um, I, yeah, you're right. It is shorter, but I would rather be known as the guy who keeps Mr. Dead in his pocket. Yeah, because he didn't give them his name. He didn't stand in front of the tribe and be like, my name's Max. He said, I'm the guy who keeps Mr. Dead in his pocket, and I say we're going to stay here. And then they left anyway, so maybe they don't respect that nickname, but it's an awesome yeah. nickname. It really is. Okay, I know their English is a little weird, so maybe if you could help explain the phrase, him that came the salvage, like that came to salvage, as in the man that came to save us, because that's just not accurate. Mm. He didn't come to save us, them. He didn't come there at all. You dragged him there. You made him come to the crack in the earth. Well, maybe that's what she means by that then. He that come the salvage. Maybe he came as salvage. Yeah, she's calling him the salvage. Okay. Him that came the salvage. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, because he is the thing that she found in the desert. Mm -hmm. Right. And she brought it back. Okay, cool. That makes sense. I didn't think about that until you said it. And then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, she did scoop him up. So I've been trying to figure out who she looks like, and it's been making me crazy, and I just figured it out. Who? She looks like TJ's ex-girlfriend. Oh. oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say someone famous. <laughs> I know. I'll put a picture of her on your wall, but especially her profile, just specifically her profile. She looks like Kirsten Porter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I do appreciate that when they tried to make Helen Bidet look older, like this is Savannah a couple of years down the road, all they really did was just put her hair up in a bun. Yeah. And it worked for me. It worked. <laughs> uh -huh. It made her seem a little bit more sophisticated. I think her mullet that she had going on beforehand was very wild and a bit childish. So yeah, putting her hair up. Yeah, more grown up, more sophisticated. It worked for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> me too. Anything a but a look. mullet. So I'm yeah, good. it's it's a much better look than the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> what I appreciate about her mullet, though, is it took you like half the movie to figure out it was a mullet. <laughs> That's a sign of a good mullet. Because of the way that it was like pulled back and the way that it was like braided and ponytailed. I was never really sure what was going on there. But once the adventure really started going, her hair just kind of was blowing wild in the wind. And you could really tell that it was a pretty bad mullet. <laughs> Especially on the airplane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was last minute, actually. You get a real good sneaky peek at it. Yeah, because it's moving slow. So you can actually see the individual strands yeah. whipping around. 
blowing in the wind. Something I forgot to bring up last minute. So they're flying through the sandstorm and a couple of them just have their heads stuck out the window. No eye protection or anything. Yeah. <laughs> just their heads out there in the sand. Yeah, that was something John said when the plane was taking off too. Where John was like, can you get your bodies in the plane? You're already going to have enough trouble getting in the air. Aerodynamic, bodies in. He was really mad at those children. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that airplane needed a stewardess. If I'm sorry, yeah. that airplane needed a flight attendant. Yeah, <laughs> everyone needs Good to be same. in their seat, buckled in, tray tables up. No smoking. And no reclining. I don't know how they thought they were going to even get off the ground when they had all that luggage in the wings and stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh. wouldn't that like ruin the off? aerodynamics? Like the, the whole lift <laughs> system? Utterly, utterly. Yeah. Completely and utterly. It would fall out too. The yeah. wind just if they did make it up. So I have a question. I don't know if you guys know the answer to this. How did they get the bunny if they didn't go back and get the people? I think Screw Loose had the bunny the entire time. Really? Because Screw Loose has a pair of pants that he wore. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that he had pockets and he had the bunny in the pocket. I like that idea because the time that we saw him with it, the way he looked at it and held it and handled it, it looked like he cherished it. Yeah. So if he's going to go off on this adventure with the anticipation that he's never coming back. Yeah. He's got pockets. He's going to fill them with the things that mean the most to him. Yeah. Plus, you've got all that Warner Brother money and you got to show that the Warner Brother mm -hmm. product stands the test of <laughs> yeah. time. So he had Bugs Bunny in one pocket and his makeup kit in the other pocket. Yeah. That's okay. Logic is sound and I'd no longer wonder. Priorities. <laughs> it just makes me wonder what other kinds of Warner Brothers properties that he could have had action figures for. Jessica Rabbit blow up doll. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you go to, I think it's what, is it the Six Flags amusement parks that have the Warner Brothers stuff? Yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. Quick uh, aside about Six Flags. The Six Flags over Texas, the place I would watch the most people make out in line. At. Oh, okay. Six Flags over Texas. When you were oh. little? Yeah. And that's I, been great. And I rode the Texas Giant, a wooden coaster that recently killed a woman. Wow. Oh. Sounds like everyone in line mm. also rode Texas Giants that day. They did. <laughs> oh, wowie zowie. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think who, because I'm pretty sure when you go to Six Flags, isn't it the Waterworld stunt show or is that the Batman stunt show? It's both. It can be both depending on where you are. Okay. Both of those are Warner Brother properties. All right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I could have sworn. The Waterworld show might be at Universal Studios. I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure water. Oh, let's we have, don't we have the internet? We do have the internet right in front of us. I'm actually looking at the Waterworld poster right now, trying to read the fine print at the bottom. It is a Universal Pictures thing. So there we go. See, the Waterworld stunt show is at Universal Studios. The Batman go. stunt show is at Six Flags. I don't know why yes. I'm obsessed with stunt shows. I don't know why either. We went to Six Flags in New Jersey for my senior trip, and we didn't watch any shows. Well, it was New Jersey. They were probably too busy, you know, doing mobster things. Oh, okay. And committing crimes to okay. do stunts. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Too busy to go to stunt work today. I've got to commit my crimes <laughs> with my organized crime job. <laughs> Yeah, it's before they opened up a local Six Flags. <laughs>
when they mentioned the man that came to salvage they kind of do like a walking away shot like a silhouette shot yeah. of him we fade to a shot of max we assume and he's got a flowy cape thing or whatever and he's got a couple of poles in his hands and he's just yeah walking off into the horizon is that like a fishing hook in his what does he got is it like a he's got some sort of hook device with him are they the spears that the kids left behind? Maybe. I was wondering what oh, that stick was. Oh, yeah, that was. could be them. And because the stick is included in this profile walkaway shot, it implies that it's important in some way, but he's never carried a stick before. So I'm thinking it must be the spears that the kids carry. Yeah. And he collected them up and he uses them now as part of his weaponry because he has to start from scratch with the weaponry. Yeah. Okay. Is it weird that Max is just walking out into the desert and that he hasn't picked up some sort of vehicle somehow. Like, I know there's no fuel anywhere. I know that all the vehicles from Bartertown ran on methane, and that he started off this movie with a camel-drawn cart, and there aren't any camels around. But is it weird that we see Max without a vehicle? Yes. Yes. Because he always has one. Yeah, yeah, that's like a quintessential part of Max is his vehicle. Like he ends the first movie with the Interceptor. He ends the second movie with the Lone Wolf machine thing. He ends this movie with a couple of sticks. <laughs> and it just seems lacking to me. Yeah. It'd be funny if at the very end he put the sticks between his legs and started running like they were a broom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like who needs a I must have a vehicle. <laughs> I would have preferred a shot of Max more or less on a reconstructed camel cart with a new group of camels. Like he is now back in the same position he was at the beginning of the movie, just with the lessons that he learned along the way, whatever nebulous lessons those may be. That would have been a better bookend, I think. Yeah. And then maybe just to add some sweetness to it you can show him with sally ann that the monkey left barter town and found him again that might have been nice yeah maybe they're trying to make him look like moses he looks a lot like he moses. is a desert wanderer who continually guides tribes of other people and then sets them free and then continues all by himself oh my gosh he is moses he takes the waiting ones and master and pig killer out of captivity and while he never sees the promised land himself mm. they eventually wander through the desert and reach the promised land you know the other day i brought up christian imagery and you were like wait what i'm like yeah we've talked about this see it's there yeah it's moses moses didn't have a car <laughs> well moses he probably have. did have camels right part of the world right that's true yeah yeah, probably had camels. Yeah, but they probably use the camels to carry stuff more so than people. Pack yeah. animals. I'm pretty sure the whole reason that the freed Jewish slaves wandered for 40 years in the desert is because they were walking the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Screw this guy being mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> they'd go five. They'd go five paces, and then someone would be like, "Stop! I gotta go to the bathroom." Oh God, leave them. <laughs> Dump him out of the plane. Go before we left. <laughs> Don't make me push you out of this plane. <laughs> As Max in silhouette is wandering out into the darkness, we get a fade to black and some words come up on the screen. Just simply an ellipses for Byron. And I cry. It's a really nice sentiment here at the end because Byron Kennedy, 
was killed before this movie really got going as far as production is concerned and they soldiered on and made it anyway and so it's really nice here at the end that they say you know what this is for Byron because Byron was there from day one he's one of the main reasons that George was able to make these movies because Byron drove the ambulance and George did the ambulance medical stuff you know, they were partners. They were friends. They yeah. did so much together. And here at the end, we get a really nice dedication. Yeah. When movies get dedicated to people, I die. I can't stop crying. Yeah. And I just can't imagine how difficult it must have been for George Miller and many of the other people who had worked with the pair previously to go on without him. It feels almost like cheating on him. Oh, yeah. I was going to say betrayal. Cheating works, though. Yeah. To move on and find... A different producer. But that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. Byron certainly wouldn't have wanted them to stop making movies. Right. Because he couldn't be there to do it with them. So, yeah, it's very bittersweet. It's a nice bookend on this first three movie series. Yeah, you bring up a good point that for a very, very long time... This was the end. Mm -hmm. This was how we left Mac for a long time. And it feels almost unfinished. Wow. It does kind of. It's like. It feels like there should be something more. Yeah. You almost expect to see the credits like they do at the end of Marvel movies now. Like uh, Mad Max will return in Fury Road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like the Marvel movies that do that. Well, no. I mean. Uh, I know. I know. What you mean. I know what you mean. Doctor Strange will return. <laughs> <laughs> if they had an accompanying voiceover for those, I'm sure that's exactly what it would sound like. Yes. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the preview of Doctor Strange. Woo, magic poop yow. <laughs> I don't know why Marvel isn't just ringing my phone off the hook right now. Maybe they are, but you have your phone on silent because you're podcasting. See, that's the professional courtesy I like to give my fellow podcasters, even though I've got a million dollar phone call blowing up my phone, dedicated and focused on the task at hand. And we appreciate it. Of course. Yes. Thank you for your sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. So I was watching an interview today. This interview came out at the end of July with the Oxford Union and George Miller sat down and he was talking about his process, his creative process, the things that he's worked on and whatnot. And he was talking about his fascination with the human need to tell stories and convey experiences from one person to the other. And I feel like it's a big theme in this movie particularly that stories have to be repeated so that people can remember the past because we see it twice with the waiting ones we see it once in thunderdome itself so two disparate groups of people take time to remind themselves this is how it was and don't forget it yeah i mean history used to just be spread by stories it was tales you'd go and you'd listen to your grandmother and she would talk about all the old times and now we have uh, history books and television and those personal stories are sadly gone. That is oh something I think about all the time where back in the day, stories and relatives used to be remembered way longer than they are now. I don't know anything about my great grandmother. We don't really tell stories about them or my great grandfather, but I feel like before that, 
They used to talk about people in their family all the time because the world wasn't as big. Mm-hmm. Or small. Oh, yeah, the world wasn't as small. No, the world was small. Like because we're so connected that makes the world smaller. You know? Right. Well, I, I guess I was thinking more like their life. Their lives were small. They had, yeah. you know, they weren't in touch with other people. or right. So all they had was their own stories. I like stories. I, I like telling them. There were a couple of quotes that I pulled from the interview. The first being that through stories, we make meaning and cinema is just a way of doing that. And I pulled that because the folks in this story, they live in a world where it's very basic. You wake up, you find food, you find shelter, you wake up the next day and you do it all over again. And so in order to find added meaning in this world, you look to the past and you tell stories of the past. Listen on, listen on from Dr. Dealgood at the beginning of the Thunderdome fight. And it's the same thing with these waiting ones. They go out, they scrounge, they forage, they get their supplies, and then they get together and they have the tell, a story that they constantly repeat to themselves so that they can always remember. So that way, when the next generation comes up, it's something that they can pass on. Wow. I was thinking about Happy Feet. Isn't there a storytelling element in Happy Feet too? Uh, I, that's one I didn't see, so I'm gonna have to defer. Yeah, to... it's um, the guy with the oh, uh, Robin Williams character with the yeah. plastic wrapped around his neck, the macaroni penguin. Yes, he like travels around like telling the story of Elijah Wood's penguin. It's been a while since we watched that movie. Yeah, I just watched it a little bit ago though. Huh? Like less than a year. Oh gosh. What? Yeah, I think we watched it last year. <gasps> Lovelace. That was his name. Yeah, Lovelace. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm just noticing in another George Miller movie that that element of storytelling is there. He also said that he thinks most good films or good stories are allegorical, which is more or less in response to someone asking about Fury Road <laughs> and how that turned out to be such a feminist manifesto and george miller was talking about how you look at his movies and they can be allegories for things and that good genre movies are just allegories for things in our real world and so it made me wonder and this might be something we have to explore next week when we have more time to just dedicate to other thoughts but what this would be an allegory for and i think it might be an allegory for reaching no um no what was the 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 thing was in my head and then it fell out dang i lost it shoot it went down the drain with the water (laughs) yes where did the ocean go (laughs) still bothered by that can't even focus on the allegory thing. We're going to have to talk about it next week. Yeah, Once I might we... have to like think real hard about what allegories are included. Because I just... That could be one of the essay questions just we answer. John brought credits. up the ocean again, and now it's all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> that it bothers me so much. You're, you've ever seen those uh, graphics on the internet where it shows, this is the amount of actual fresh water on Earth, and it's like Earth, like a drop on it. Yeah. Whenever I hear you talk about this drain, I just see like... A hole opening up in that drop, just go, and that's it. That's all the water. And that's it. It's all gone. <laughs> it's all gone. Goodbye. It just doesn't make any sense. Like if you destroy a continent and the continent falls into the sea, the water levels would rise unless the water level flows into the holes, and then it would but drop. That material it, would have to go somewhere. It just doesn't make any sense. Gosh, I, but that was Monday's minute. I shouldn't still be worrying about it. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna keep you up all night. It is. It is. I guess the. Moral of today's episode is that storytelling is good, remembering friends is good, Max should have had a car at the end, and that's all. (laughs) And a partridge in a pear tree. Yep. (laughs) 
That one too. At the very tail end of this minute, right around second 58, so not even a full two seconds, we see the credits start to creep up from the bottom of the screen. And it says, cast... Mad Max, Mel Gibson, and that is the official beginning of the end. We made it. More or less. Guys, you did it. Another one. Congratulations. Oh, three down, one to go. Yep. Oh, guys. We are more or less, uh, I don't know, like 74.5% done. (laughs) Oh, man. Because they still get that tiny little sliver of Beyond Thunderdome left for the credits, but. What are you going to do with all your free time? Oh. (sighs) Plan for Fury Road. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. There is so much planning to do. So much planning to do. Plus, I mean, you know. We still have hiatus. We're going to be making more extra stuff. John and Crystal, where should people go if they want to get more of you into their ear holes? Well, that's a great question, Rick. If that's uh, the great answer to that question is www.thefifthelementit.com. Me and her do it, did a podcast much like the one you're doing uh, with Mad Max here, but we did with The Fifth Element. Great movie by Luc Besson. And uh, we also host a video game podcast called Unlimited Lives Radio. Check it out on iTunes as well as uh, The Fifth Element. And check us out on Twitter as well. I'm at John Robert Wilson and Crystal is at the Crystal Beth on Instagram as well with Crystal. Yeah. 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 He did such a good job. I have nothing to say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you like podcasts like The Magical Tavern, I was a, a guest twice now on the uh, improvised science fiction podcast, Mission to Zix, Z-O-I-X-X. I play a ripoff of the StarCraft uh, Overmind called The Grower Mind. And it's a really fun time. Yeah, definitely check that out. John and Crystal, thank you so much for coming on. We had so much fun with you back in Road Warrior. We absolutely had to have you back for Beyond Thunderdome, and I'm so glad we snuck you in under the wire. Oh, well, that's the best way to be snuck in, buddy. No, I love it. <laughs> it's uh, under the wire. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> As for us, we are done for the week. We will be back on Monday. The narrative portion of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome may be over, but we still have five full minutes of end credits, so we've got some cool stuff planned. If you've been with us in seasons previous you'll know that we take some time during the end credits to answer sort of essay questions about the movie so come back for some conversation with topics that we've actually taken some time to consider instead of just coming up with off the top of our heads like these are going to be pre-arranged and our discussion will be a bit more structured i hope The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 102 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody!